Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. There's a lot of stuff coming down the line, and today we continue in our message series, Everybody Has a Story. Named on the, pre- the premise that everybody does have a story, and we believe that everybody's story matters that your story and my story matter because they're part of something larger, a larger story that connects all of us. And last week we said this, that the spark notes of it is there is a creator God who wants you to experience a full life and wants to give it to you as a gift. It's been the story since the beginning of time from creation, and we believe that it's driving towards a good ending. And all along the way are these personal stories, these unique reflections and expressions of that full life that he wants to give us that we can experience even in this lifetime, a foretaste of the good ending that's to come. And each week in this series, we are exploring that idea, not only looking at what does that mean for me as an individual, but what does that mean if it's true for us as a community, as one church together, and we're doing it by exploring individual stories each week. We'll look at one story from ancient times recording for us in scripture, And we'll look at one personal story from our own church community, somebody from this very family. Last week, we got to hear Lexi's story. And if you missed it, it is worth going to YouTube and checking it out this week. I promise it'll be one of the best six minutes of your week. And today, we get to hear a special story from one of our very own family members and friends, Mike Fredericks. So Cape Cod Church, sit back and enjoy the story from our friend, Mike. My name is Mike Fredericks, and I'm from Centerville. I grew up on Cape Cod most of my life. I moved to Cape when I was eight years old. I met my wife actually when we were in middle school. So I was 13, she was 14, from two different towns. She's a Falmouth person, I'm a Barnstable person. And she very much appreciated the fact that I went to Cape Cod Tech for high school because that kind of put us on neutral ground. Um, so and we reconnected after she graduated from college and that's when we really hit things off and, and were engaged uh, within a, a year or two after that. I was actually adopted as a child and so I didn't know any blood relatives. So the first time my first child we had born, Gabrielle, that was the first blood relative that I had ever known. And it was pretty amazing at that point just to see her and touch her and and know. And it's not to say that my adoptive family wasn't important. And, you know, the dad that I speak of a lot was my adoptive dad. And, you know, I just refer to him as my dad, right? Because that's, that's that's what he is. So, but having that connection with a biological relative was an amazing gift from God. So I've been so appreciative of that. And I've actually had an opportunity over the years to reconnect with my, to connect with my uh, biological mother as well. I was about 36 years old when my biological mother actually found me uh, through the adoption agency. I got a letter from the adoption agency saying that she wanted to connect with me. And if I was willing, they would connect the two of us together. So, and how I found out was I was at work, I was actually out of state at a, at a customer site, and I got a call from Kate saying, there's a letter in the mail from Catholic Charities 
can I open it up? And I said, sure. So she opened it up and started reading it. And then you could, you could just tell she was starting to cry a bit on her end. And she was reading it to me. You know, here it was, my biological mother wanted to reach out and connect with me. And she read the letter to me. And then she said, okay, well, I said, I'll talk about it when we get home. I'll, I'll, you know, it was a three hour drive home. I'll talk about it when we get home and stuff. So I had a lot of time to think about kind of, I think where I was at. But I think deep down, we both knew separately of each other that it was something that we want, that we had to pursue. Certainly we talked through the, the potential downsides of doing that. What do they want? Who are they? You know, things like that. But we were confident that God had set this in action for some reason. And we were willing to take the chance, which eventually led to us meeting in person for the first time at a Panera. And uh, my wife and I both waited uh, there at the agreed upon time for my biological mother to walk in the door. And of course, had no idea what she looked like. Uh, so as every middle-aged woman walked in the door kind of saying, is that my mother? Is that my mother? <laughs> And then uh, coincidentally, so these two women walked forward and it became clear that at least one of them was my mother. I didn't know which one yet. And it turned out that uh, it was my aunt and my biological mother. So they had, she had come with her to support her. So for a brief moment, I knew it was one of them, but I didn't know which one. Uh, so that was kind of interesting, but we had a great time getting to meet each other, spent a few hours just sitting there talking. She had me when she was 15 years old and and almost died giving birth to me. And it was a pretty emotional story from her and something that stuck with her. And, you know, I got to see it from her perspective a little bit, always wondering, where was I? Was I still alive? Did I turn out okay? Did she make the right decision? And it was just great to be able to sit there and she could see me, she could touch me, she could know that I had a great upbringing, I had a great family, and she had done the right thing. It's hard for me to imagine what it would have been like had I not been a follower of Jesus at that time, but I can guess, and I can think maybe there would have been some anger. Uh, why did she give me up, and I wasn't good enough, and, and certainly <laughs> there's some anxiety in me, right, with, with that gun cord, and I don't think they're related, but, uh, but at that time you could be asking yourself those questions. Having God's perspective on the situation helped me realize that there's room, there's room for a lot of people in my life. God tells us we should, we should be welcoming and loving and forgiving, and there's an op a great opportunity to, to extend our family by just being open to what God has in store for us. Having that relationship with Jesus has allowed me to look at those things knowing that he has a greater plan for what's going on and that it may not always be what I think it should look like, but if I can step back and trust God in that moment and know that it's his plan is at work, then that helps relieve some of the worry and the, the fear and the anger that might typically come along with these events happening in your life. Well, good morning. Let me just take a minute and acknowledge, and can we thank uh, Mike is in the back, but also his birth mother is here with us, Leanne. 
I'm always so grateful when people are um, courageous enough to share their stories and to give us a window of transparency into their life. It's a gift. And Mike, um, you did that uh, so, so well for us. And um, what is maybe common and ordinary to you is, is inspiring. And I think it it teaches us, and it's a good way for us to kind of step into today's topic. We've been saying this all along, that we help people discover a full life with God. That's what we do. It's what Jesus did. It's what we're passionate about as a church. And we do that in, in community. And that community has a name. We call it church. This gathering. These people. But you may think, <laughs> do we need it? Do we, do we need others? Do we need you know, people? I mean, I've got me, right? You've got you. And you're awesome. And I'm awesome. We're all set. Right? Maybe you've got a, a spouse, a husband, a wife, and you're like, I'm good. I'm good. I got me. I got her. I got him. We are good. We got our family. We got our family. That's all I need. Or is it? Do we need this? Do we need others? And what does that look like? Jesus often referred back to the very beginning of the story. Genesis. The first couple of chapters of Genesis are, are the place where, where, where we find out what we're made for. And here's what we discover. We discover we are made for more than just me. I mean, if you really want to understand, if you want to unwrap the chaos that feels like it's in the world around us, around issues of of identity and understanding and personhood, if you want to know who we are and what we're made for, you probably have to go back to those first couple of chapters, at least if you're a believer. If you believe that God made you and he made you for a purpose, then those first couple of chapters are potent because they unravel for us what we're made for. And they teach us that we're made for more than just me. That's why we go back. I don't know if you have one of these. We have a, a drawer. It's actually a cabinet. It, it outgrew a drawer, and it became a cabinet full of medicine. Anybody have, a, anybody have like a medicine cabinet? And, and it's just like, we've got like bins of stuff. 
And occasionally, you know, allergy season will come along and I'll run to the bin to find something. Anybody else have this? And you open it up and you start looking and there's random pills everywhere. (laughs) And you're like, I think that's the right one. (laughs) But you're nervous, right? You're like, is this a four hour, a six hour, a 12 hour, a 24 hour? Or is this even allergy medicine? Because that could be a problem. This pill could be something entirely different. It could cause more problems than it helps to solve. And so we find ourselves, at least I find myself, rifling through the pills, looking at the packet, looking at the back at this writing you need a microscope to understand to see what is this What's the name of this? And then I'm looking up the name online and I'm trying to find a matching packet and I just want to know what's this made for because it matters because if you take it and use it the wrong way, all kinds of chaos ensues. And that's what Genesis chapters 1 and 2 are like. They're They're an unwrapping of the intent of the maker. And if you believe that God made you and he made you for a purpose and that purpose is good, then then Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are kind of the story. Let Let me read it to you because by the time it's done, it unwraps this idea that we're made for more than just me. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. It says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God created he them. Not, now that doesn't mean that we, we physically look at it. It means that we bear something inside of us, a reflection, a marker, something in us that bears the image of God uniquely apart from all of creation. Nothing else in creation, no sunset, no beautiful forest, no ocean vista, no animal, no other creature, nothing else contains the image of God but us. We are forever linked to him. We are forever connected to God. We cannot live our fullest lives apart from him. It begins in the earliest of verses. We are meant to be in community with him. It says, in the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. If you go over to the next chapter, sometimes people will look at chapter one and chapter two and think that they they represent, and some some see them representing two different creation accounts. I I tend to look at them as chapter two is uh, an experience expansion and exploration of what happened in chapter one. And so in chapter two, he expands on this creation of man and he, he gives us these pictures, this, this symbolic, here's what it says, chapter two, verse seven, it says, then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils and the man became a living 
person. He gives us this, this symbolic. By the way, he doesn't do this. There, there are plenty of other creatures that, that are living and breathing. But, but in this case, and man, he gives the, the symbolic picture that he's breathing his life. Our very breath is connected to the creator of the universe. Without him, we wouldn't have breath. That's the picture that's having there. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostril, and the man became a living person. And if you come down to verse 18, he, he, he builds on this whole idea. It says, then the Lord God said, oh, by the way, up to this point, he's been creating, 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 right? And he, he gets done with his creation. And he creates the sky and the land and the stars, and he'll get done with the day and the picture. So he says, oh, it's good. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's good. But then here, in verse 18, then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good. Did you get the picture there? Good, good, good. Not good, not good. This is the, so this is the very first not good recorded. And also the first time God looks at everything he's done and he goes, no, 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 that's not that, that's not good. That's not finished. That's not right. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. We've, we've explored this word helper before, this idea of easer. It, it, it's the helper, the protector. It, it's actually used in most places in Scripture to refer to God himself as the one who helps us us, right? It's not, it's not a, a, a JV assistant. That's not at all the picture here. It's a partner. I will make a helper who is just right for him. I want to read you what happens next, though. So it says, the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still... There was no helper just right for him. All right, this is going to be like the most controversial thing I say, so just hold on. That means your dog is not enough. <laughs> or your cat. I love my dog. I'm a dog person now, right? I, I've joined, the, I've joined the, the obsessive cult of dog family, right? I mean, I love my dog. Ruby is like all that and I mean part of the family and you know with almost all the rights of family and I mean we love our dog but I, this passage is here is saying there there's something like listen as much of a partner as your your pet can be it's not enough so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while the man slept the Lord God took out of the man's out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening and then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man and at last the man exclaimed this one, this one is bone from my bone and flesh of my flesh and she will be called woman because she was taken from the man and so there's a, there's a picture here there's an imagery here of this partner that God is giving it's something that bears the same image 
uh, of God. And so in this passage we have, it's like, it's like we've, been, we've been rummeling through the, 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 the medicine drawer and we're looking, we're picking up a pill and what is this and what is this? But Genesis unwraps the chaos for us. It, it shows us this picture of who we are and what we're, cre- it shows us that we're created to be in union relationship with God. We, we bear his image. It shows us the gift of gender, of male and female. And it shows us the gift of marriage when a, when a husband and a wife come together in this lifelong commitment to one another. And it shows us that this is God's design for us together. It's how we find flourishing and the full life because it's how he made us. It's a look into the medicine drawer and we find that this, oh, that's what this is for. And while I think this passage does lay out the premise and the groundwork, the instruction manual for marriage together of a husband and a wife, I think it's also laying out for us something more and powerful and worth exploring. And that is that we, you and me, are made for more than just ourselves. We're made for others. We're made to be in community, to be in fellowship, to be in relationship. That's what this is, this is, this is driving at. And Ecclesiastes expands on this idea in chapter 4 when it says two people are better off than one. They can Help each other succeed. And a few verses later in verse 12, it says a person standing alone can be attacked and and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And so it's, it's, it's here kind of laying out an idea that we inherently know that stretches all the way back to the book of Genesis that we are made for more than ourselves and our own, that we are literally made for community. But community's hard, (laughs) or else we wouldn't be talking about it. Friends are hard. Making friends, building relationships, investing in people, it's hard. Why is it so hard? It's so hard because we all want it. It's hard because we're busy. We're really busy. We're super busy. We're crazy busy. We're too busy for that. And to be honest, we've been burnt a few times. And it doesn't take many times of being burnt and rejected that you just sort of give up. And We're not sure we need it after all. We're busy. We've been burnt. And I'm not sure we actually believe we need it at all. Hmm. Here's what we've discovered. 30 years at Cape Cod Church. I've discovered this. That people tend to discover the fullest life in their faith and community with friends. 
It's just the reality of how we grow. We grow with others. Don't get me wrong. We, we value messages taught from a stage. The study of Scripture. But here's what we've discovered, that there is something powerful and lasting about community, about friends, about relationships that helps us to flourish. And this is one of the reasons why when we talk about small groups, we, we talk about often the very first thing we talk about is friends. You say, are you diminishing the role of Scripture in a small group? Nope, I'm not. I just know that where it starts and what makes it last are friendships, relationships, connection, community. We're about to launch a, a new website we've been working on for a long, long time. And here's one of the things you'll notice when you see it. It doesn't feature a lot about programs and buildings. I love the programs we have. I'm proud of all we're able to offer. And I'm grateful for the gift of facilities that God has given us. But at the end of the day, the story is not about those. It's about people. And when you look at the new site, that's what you'll notice, people. Lots and lots of people. It's why every once in a while, we've gotten into the habit over the last couple of years of, of gathering together in one service. In fact, put it on your calendars, November 6th, we're going to finish this series with a celebration Sunday. We're coming all together in one service, so you get to sleep in an extra hour on that weekend. Because there's something powerful about coming together as one church community and worship. Oh, I enjoy the advantages of two services and the chance for our workers who serve in one to go to another, but every once in a while we enjoy that coming together and we benefit from it. So how can you and I make that happen? Let's just say for a moment, you agree with me that we're made for more than just me. We're made for community. Let's just say, maybe I haven't convinced you. Maybe you don't find the evidence of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 completely compelling, and maybe you still want to go back and wrestle with that and all the implications, and you're thinking, what did he just say about that? And, but let's just say for a moment, you agree how do we make that a reality in our lives? There's a great little story in the Old Testament. David, the famous king of the Old Testament. David is finally risen to the throne. He's king. It had been promised, it had been predicted, but the former king and his people were resistant, and they chased him and fought him and threatened him. But finally, he's king with all the rights that come with that. 
He has the throne and he has the armies. And the former king is no more. And in the habit of the time, the king has been vanquished. And all of his people, they're gone. Anyone who could threaten the new king in the new kingdom has either been eliminated or has run for their lives. And then there's this one little moment where David looks around his kingdom and he says the most remarkable of things. Let me read it to you. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, in verse 3, it says that the king asked him, is there anyone still alive from Saul's family. Saul was the former king. Usually when you ask that, is there anyone left from Saul? Is there anyone who could threaten me? Is there anyone out there who thinks they might have a claim to my throne? That's the undertones of this question when you're a new king. But it's not the undertones of David's because he very quickly says, if so, I want to show God's kindness to them. I want to show God's kindness to them. And Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons, that would have been a grandchild of the king, is still alive, but He's crippled in both feet. Just in case, king, he's no threat. He's no threat at all. I want to show kindness. I like this passage because of what it does for us. It's an intentional rebuke of cynical fear. So here's what's going to happen. If, if, you, if you want to live in community, if you want to build relationships, deep relationships that become like family, you're going to have to overcome the hurt and the cynicism of the past. You're going to have to overcome it. We've all, we've all been there, right? We've all been disappointed. We've all suffered through a season where, where people we trusted and we gave everything to them. And then they turned. They, they hurt. They took that trust and they used it as a, a knife and they twisted it. And See, cynicism says, I know what they'll do. It's been done before. I know what they'll do. That's what cynicism says. You've all had someone that you relied on, that you trusted in, that you believed in, and then, like that, they're gone. 
Last week's testimony, one of the most moving moments for me was when Lexi says, the very first time I prayed, do you remember this? I was 11, and I wrote in my journal. And she said, I prayed that God would give me friends. What a pure, beautiful prayer. And my guess is, we never really stop praying that prayer. You're going to have to overcome the hurt, the cynicism, the past. Say, it's too costly, Ben. I might get, I know what'll happen. I know what happens. might get hurt. My question to you would be, what's the cost? What's the cost of, of bitterness and cynicism, of living in that hurt? I'll tell you what the cost is. It's loneliness. And loneliness is a high, high cost. There's a, another verse in this passage, and it says in verse 13, they go off and they find this, this grandson of the former king. His name is Mephibosheth. And it says, And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. That's a beautiful picture. The king is, has embraced him. He's, he said, Come, come. You belong with me. You're family now. You're with us. And maybe they had to carry him in. Maybe he had makeshift crutches. I don't know, but they said he was, he was crippled. He couldn't make it entirely on his own. And it, it didn't improve the look of the table for the king by the culture of the day, but the king said no. A year ago, we talked about this idea that, that being a, a church and community, being a family, is when we embrace the unique and the weak. That there's something about that. This is how it says it in 1 Corinthians 12. It says the human body, verse 12, has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ that's talking about the church. And, but then it, it says this in verse 22, and, and we, should, we, we should consider this, right? It says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and the least important are actually the most necessary. Sometimes the, 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 the weakest, the most struggling, how can that be? How can it be that making room in your life for the unique and the weak, the different, the outside, the, the one I don't always understand, the one that maybe I struggle with, 
How can it be? This is what he's saying about the beauty of the church. He's saying the beauty of the church and the community, the body of Christ, is not just that it's full of strong, incredible, happy ending stories, but it's full of unique, broken, weak, struggling, not there, trying to figure it out. People who are part community. I loved Mike's testimony there. Right towards the end, he says, because of Jesus, you can always make room for more because of Jesus. I thought that's true. Because of Jesus. Like there's something about Jesus in us that compels us. It says, hey, that person who annoys you, who offended you, who confuses you, that, that person may be exactly the person that Jesus is asking you to make room for. And that's what Jesus does. He, he so changes us, right? He, he doesn't leave us the way we were. He, he, he changes us and he compels us. The very, very people that took the knife and twisted it, he compels us to go to. The one who disappointed us, The time we're afraid, man, I'm not up for getting hurt again. Jesus in us changes us. And that's what the church is. The church is this place that that against all odds, the world wants to sort us out by demographics and economics and culture. Jesus pulls us together against all odds. You you want to try something? Let me give you a phrase. It's just two words. But it's powerful. I mean, it's, it's a... It's a phrase, it's words that you can use because I believe words have power, right? You know, James talks about the power of the tongue. It's like a bridle. It steers the heart, right? And so sometimes when we, when we adopt a phrase, it begins, to, it begins to teach us. It begins to steer us in the direction that, that we know we should go. And here's the phrase. Church, family. I grew up using that term. I never thought twice about it. Some of you did too, church, family. But there's something about the the term. There's something about the idea of church as family. That just saying it is, it it redirects the heart. It says, no, this this isn't an event I attend. It's a It's a family. It's not a program that I, I, I pay for. It's, it's a family. It's not a religion that I follow. 
church is a family that I belong to. A family of unique and weak. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, are you calling me unique or weak? Not you, but the person next to you. <laughs> Some years ago, I, I was invited to um, be a part of a book group. Um, a guy I knew casually, our kids played sports together. He was a, he was a, a law professor. and He said, hey, I'm, I'm putting together a, a diverse book group would you like to be a part of it? And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And I said, yeah, sure. And I went, and here's a, here's a, it, was a, it was an interesting, fascinating group of people. And then it was about two years later, we were in the midst of the discussion that I realized that this was a book group of nine atheists and a pastor. <laughs> and it was awesome, I'm not gonna lie, it was awesome. But it was in that moment I realized, oh, I am the diversity. <laughs> when they said we wanted diverse, they're like, we want one of them. <laughs> what would they even think about? What would they, I wonder what Ben would say. And I was just as curious about them. The unique and the weak. See, there's a humility in that, right? There's a humility that we, we recognize that in Jesus, we're all accepted, right? We all have a place. And in Jesus, we're all unique and weak. And nobody, nobody escapes that. And it's the beauty of church, family. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And Father, we, we've not always gotten this right. And we struggle Father, we've been through two or three years now of just what feels like upheaval. The world upside down. And for some reason, Father, it's made church and family harder than ever. We haven't gathered as often. We haven't always treated one another with generosity. We've been divided and we haven't followed the way and the example and the testimony of Jesus. But Father, we want this. We we want this. We believe that you made us 
for each other. You made us to be in relationship with you and with one another. And we need this, Father. So my prayer is the commitment we've made as a church that we would become a community that becomes a family. And Father, I, we, we pray here too this morning. We, we humble ourselves, Father. We're, none of us are exempt from this. And we need the humility of the, of the Spirit to, to override our selfish desires, the part of us that just wants what we want and wants to be right and wants to be where it's comfortable and with who we're comfortable and wants to do our busy routine and Father, help us to stop our busyness. To not give in to the cynicism of our hurt. But instead, Father, to lean in to places and people that you bring into our lives to see church as family. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen.